0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are here for yet another episode, and I'm here actually with a a brand new friend of mine, Matt Matthews. Matt, thank you so much for hanging out with me for a bit today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Well, and we were chatting just before we started recording about the significance of in-person conversation. You're actually in Birmingham, Alabama, is that right? I am. And and believe it or not, this is a couple of days in a row, uh, or a couple of interviews in a row, that I've had the opportunity to do with, with photographers from Birmingham, Alabama, which is which is really cool. But you're only about two and a half hours or so from me. So maybe even if we don't get to do this interview in person, maybe at some point in time, we can actually connect in person. That'd be cool.
1: Yeah, I'm always traveling. So I'm like worse than Felicia. I'm always going somewhere.
0: (laughs) I like that. Well, actually, you know what? Speaking of travel. So I was I was on your Instagram account. And uh, by the way, for those of you listening in, you're going to want to check out Matt's work. And on Instagram, it's Matt M A T T underscore Matthews M A T just one T H E W S. Check out Matt's beautiful work there. But Matt, you actually had a, a beautiful post because I was really curious when I was looking at your work some time ago about horses, and um, and I'd love to to kind of hear from you what what horses mean to you and what that. What the backstory is there. But there's this post from back in, let's see, on March 7th. And if you don't mind, I'd love to read this for the listeners because it has to do with mindset. And I think it'd be a really great way to start off our conversation. Absolutely. You said, last Friday, I loaded up my trailer and I drove to another state, state for a very large barrel race. I was entered to run my horse for two days in front of hundreds of people. I told myself over and over that I was going to do so bad because I was so nervous. I didn't even give my horse the credit she deserves. And I already set us up for failure because my mind was in the wrong place. I spoke into the universe that I was going to do awful. Well, guess what happened? I did terrible. I came out of the arena that first day feeling defeated. I felt like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worthy to be running with some of the best writers out there. I didn't know why I was still doing this, honestly. On Sunday, I had a chance to redeem myself. I knew that if I went into this run with the negative mindset I had previously done, then my outcome would be the same. I told myself, today will be better. I will learn from yesterday's mistakes. I will be focused. I will do better. I warmed up my horse. They opened the gate, and I heard, "All right, Matt Matthews. Matt Matthews. The arenas is yours. Running treasurer's dream maker. My horse's registered name. Let's see what you got. Run when you're ready." I could feel my heart exploding inside me. I was so nervous, but I continued to focus. I continued to allow myself to do what I knew I could do. My horse could probably feel my heart as it started beating like a drum. She ran down that alley to that first barrel and turned it beautifully. Around the second and the third, just the same. I ran out of the arena with a much better run and over a second faster than the day before. I was so happy. What changed? I allowed myself to believe I could. I allowed myself to enjoy what I was doing and believe that I was just as good as the other running before me. I spoke positively about my run before and after. That was the important part. Remember, what you speak into the universe is what will happen. Speak positively. Believe in yourself. You can do it. Stop telling yourself you can't. Uh, first of all, you're a great writer that the storytelling there kind of takes me into the scene, but I love the focus here on having the right mindset. So will you just kind of start our conversation off and, and kind of expound on or expand on that idea of mindset and how that affects what you do as a photographer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I have always been that kind of person that, I believe that whatever we put out into the universe is what happens and we whatever we think and whatever we say kind of comes to fruition and happens yeah. and, and um I It took me a long time to realize that you are the only person that's standing in your way. Mm. And it took me a long time to realize that, you know, if you keep saying negative things and you keep talking badly to yourself and you keep talking down to yourself and telling yourself that you can't do it, then you're not going to do it. And you're going to fail every single time. As you were reading that post, it kind of like just reminded me that, I mean, it's just crazy to me that we can stop ourselves from doing something that we love no matter if it is uh, photography or it is running any other type of business or barrel racing and you know, whatever you're doing that there is so many factors that play into what you're doing, whatever you're doing that you love and you can stop yourself from becoming amazing or you can, you know, encourage yourself and you can become whatever you want to be. And it took me a long time to really realize that. And I told myself like after that weekend, I was like, I will never talk down to myself again. I will never tell myself that I can't do it again because, you know, all of my friends are like, yes, you can do this. You got this. Like you're fine. You're great. But I wasn't good enough in my head. And in my mind, I did not allow myself to be amazing. So you know, when you go into, in, into any situation. Telling yourself, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this right, or I'm not going to be good enough at this. Well, then you already go in and you're already defeated. And so you have to really be positive about every single thing that you do. And just because you're positive doesn't mean that you're going to go in there and be the best. It yes. doesn't mean that you're going to go and, you know, be the top at whatever you're doing. But I sure as hell didn't go in there the second day and win the race. You know what I mean? I didn't sure. walk away with a $5,000 check, sure. but I went into the arena the second day and I did a hundred times better than I did yesterday. And that was, that was the goal. And I think really being able to just know that, you know, being able to be in a good mindset and be positive will, you know, always benefit you. And always, you're always going to do better than you did if you aren't negative about the situation.
0: hundred percent. Yeah. And I love that. And by the way, you mentioned doing a hundred times better than the day before in racing. Some may be listening to say, but it was a second, but in racing and various forms of racing, one second is a lot of time, right?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. One second can win the race. It's crazy.
0: And but that mentality, I love that you made the distinction between, you know, I think what we see a lot of in pop culture, at least on the, the Instagram quotes and this kind of thing, where people may make it seem like if you have the right mentality, you put the right energy in the universe. Things are just magically going to happen. And it's not the case. A lot of it, it takes the right mentality up front, then to put yourself in the right mindset to do the work necessary to create those magical moments. But mindset drives it. And I have these tattoos right. on my arm. One is the, the Japanese word for belief, kakushin. And then the other one is sentaku, choice. And belief literally drives everything that we do. And if we don't have the right belief system in place, and of course, I'm in no way uh, referring to anything religious here. It's just simply a mentality. What do I believe about the situation? What do I believe about myself and my abilities? Um, that literally can drive our abilities as, a, as an individual, as a human being, as a business owner. And the cool thing is we have the ability to make the choice what to believe in that. And this is a wonderful example of that. So thanks for letting me share that with our listeners. Um, And there's this beautiful post, uh, the image, a portrait, if you will, of you with, I'm going to assume this is your horse on April 3rd, the black and white image. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me your horse's name one more time.
1: So that's Luna. I have four. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. Yeah, so...
0: Well, so just briefly, if you will, and I promise everybody listening, and we're going to get to the meat of this conversation here shortly, (laughs) but I I was so curious because this is not something that I get to see from, I don't think actually any of our guests thus far, maybe actually take that back, maybe one or two, but um, first of all, a passion for horses. And secondly, I mean, for horses, for goodness sake, I think that's incredible. What's the backstory? What's your passion for horses? Where does that come from?
1: So, I live on a farm i 've got eleven acres and wow. a, a lot of animals and uh, I grew up on horses. I was probably riding horses before I could walk, and so they 've always just been my outlet. It is my way to escape yeah. any kind of you know struggles that i 'm having it 's my way to escape my business it 's a way to uh, just be able to decompress and have fun and enjoy life and they 've always been just a huge part of who I am as a person and been a part of my life. I always tell people that if you really love horses, it has to be part of your DNA because there's so much damn work and they're so expensive.
0: Yeah, that
1: yeah. you know, I'd literally be rich if I didn't have horses. So <laughs> it's definitely something that you have to love because it's a lot of work and it's it's back and it's you know nobody wants to be shoveling horse shit at six o'clock at night every night. But, <laughs> it's
0: true. You
1: know, it's, it's part of it, you know. Yeah. If you love it, then you got to do it. And I think that everybody needs something to get away from from work and the things that just kind of tie us down all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's so many different directions we could go with just this part of the conversation too, but you point out the significance of having a, uh, basically you alluded to it as an escape, but a lot of this is just, you know, if we do the same thing over and over and over and over again, every single day, it's going to become monotonous, right? Even if we love what we do, doing the same thing day in and day out. And and at times it definitely can be stressful. Uh, It can put us in this mental state that doesn't enable us to be the best business owner, the best photographer. And so having something that takes us away from that, that shifts the mindset that, that draws our focus in. I personally ride motorcycles. I've had the opportunity to begin riding it at racetracks. And um, so I can, to a point anyway, understand the significance of what you're talking about with your horses and even racing, because I know that especially when I first started riding it, it, it was almost meditative because I had to be present. I had to focus on what was right in front of me or I could physically get hurt or worse. And, and so it caused me to, to, to be able to, I guess, set the, the worries and the stress and, and whatever else might be going on with work and my personal life aside and be present and have a mental break. Uh, And I think that's incredible. But I can only imagine I don't get to actually those those motorcycles aren't living beings, right? The idea that you get (laughs) to actually interact with your horses. I'm I'm fascinated by horses. I've never had the opportunity to own them. I was that kid growing up that just like really got drawn into the Black Stallion series. Uh-huh. And uh, I still love that, that, that original movie, but I'm fascinated by horses, these massive, massive creatures. And the idea that you get to, to sit on top of them and feel that power and, and ride them is just a mind-blowing concept to me. But I, I think it's really, really cool that you have something, first of all, that's unique, but then enables you to be able to step away and you know, just do something different in life. We don't have to be behind our computers all the time
1: right it's you know i think it's really important and like you said there are 1200 pound animals that can that can potentially kill you you know what i mean so like you have to it's just insane because you have to have just such a connection with that animal and that animal trusts you and you have to trust them and there's literally nothing more exhilarating than hearing your name over a loudspeaker in a huge arena and running down an alleyway as fast as your horse can and turning three barrels and then running back out trying to beat a clock. It's, you know, there's nothing that makes me feel like that. And uh, it's nice to be able to have that escape from work because like you said, it does get monotonous. And after photographing the same thing all the time, you can get burnt out. And I think that everybody needs something that just takes them away from, from work and things like that. And it's funny because people always make fun of me, and they're like, "You need your own reality show because my life is just so crazy." <laughs> I go from having a one of the largest boudoir studios in the south, like in in downtown Birmingham, to living forty five minutes away on a farm with all these animals, and you know, at work, I'm like, you know, totally look like the city slicker, and then I come home and I'm in boots and jeans, and I ride horses all day. Yeah. So it's uh, it's totally, it's totally a uh, a bipolar relationship.
0: (laughs) But you know what? I think contrasts are a beautiful thing. You know, when you have that, that person, uh, my brother uh, is a, is the assistant concert master of the Chattanooga symphony. And so extremely talented violin player. He's got his doctorate. He's extremely intelligent. And yet, so he's this kind of this, this one person on stage and teaching his students and then he gets on a motorcycle because he rides motorcycles as well. So we go out and ride together and, it, and he turns into this almost this di- different human being. He has this outlet to kind of let go and be a little bit wild and a little bit crazy where he doesn't have that outlet on stage. So, I, you know, th- this idea of contrast, doing things that almost don't seem in any way to go together at all. Uh, I think is a beautiful thing about human beings, and I think we should capitalize on the opportunity to be able to take advantage of those things. Try a wide variety of things. That you know, this simplistic mindset of "I'm ju- I am you know fill in the blank" and that these simple labels represent who we are, I think is really limiting. Um, so yes. I love that that you do a variety of things and and a very stark and very stark contrast to each other. I think it's a really cool thing, and that that really is a good segue for me into your really my first question here about photography, your brand position. What is the unique selling point of your photography business that you know everyone might talk about when they hear your business's name?
1: You know, I teach a lot about self-worth and I teach not only photographers, but I teach entrepreneurs, the art of self-worth and loving yourself and loving your body and, and being able to, to see yourself in a different light and, you know, talking about brand and, you know, you know, being a personal brand and things like that. A lot of people, I hear so many times from students, oh, I'm going to rebrand myself this year. And I'm like, okay, well, how the hell are you going to do that? Because a brand is not your website and it's not your logo. Right? Like a brand is who you are. You are your brand, you know? And so like my clients always say, like, if you... You hear my name they're like, "Oh my god, he's so funny." Like, he's hysterical. You're going to have so much fun. You're going to feel like your best friends. And I feel like that's really important because everybody has a superpower, is what I call it. Sure. And my superpower with my clients is humor. You know, I'm able to break down that barrier with laughter and I'm able to really connect with people and connect with my clients because I'm able to make them laugh and I'm able to, you know, take them out of whatever it is in life that they're struggling with and make them laugh, you know. So, being able to have that uh, is really important. And I think that, like I said, everybody, and I teach all of my, all of my students that everybody has a superpower. Um, so finding out what that is, is really important with your brand.
0: So humor is an interesting thing. And it's honestly, I, I wish I was better uh, with humor. I wish I was a little bit more laid back and a little bit looser. And it's something that I've, I, I've, it's funny. I've literally looked for books, um, even recently, that would enable me to be a, 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 I guess, just a more humorous individual to, to be a better conversationalist in that realm. And uh, it's something that I wanna get better at. And I think, I, I mean, I commend you for that ability because that, that just doesn't come naturally for me. But I'm looking at your Instagram account again and in the bio, it's interesting, there's this very simple line. And, I'm, and when it comes to the, the idea of a brand position, this, this idea that represents what we do that is very easily communicated to a potential client or to the market or to the world for that matter, that the, the significance of simplicity and being very, very concise with communicating that brand position, I think it's really important. And the line that you've got in your bio is teaching humans the art of self-worth. I, like, I want to see that line on the homepage of your website even because I think that sums up beautifully what you do. You not only have the opportunity as you teach photographers and entrepreneurs this concept – but you have the ability to teach this principle to those who are in front of your camera, right? You're, you're enabling them to feel empowered. Uh, and by the way, Matt is a boudoir photographer. I should mention that up front, and we're going to get into <laughs> to boudoir photography today. But if you go to his Instagram, you'll see this. But you've, you've got these subjects in front of your camera, and you are capturing them in the, in the most beautiful way possible, and I'm sure the communication that goes on during that process is also helping them feel more confident in them themselves. But what you do could literally be summed up with that one line. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful brand position.
1: Thanks. I've, you know, I, I really, I really struggled with that when I started my business. And, um, you know, everybody's like, oh, I empower women. I'm like, really? That's boring as hell. Um, <laughs> you, you know, like. Oh, and I am so sorry. I forgot. Like I cuss a lot, so I'm I'm trying to keep it reeled in. But you know, like I said, every if it comes to my mind, it comes out my mouth.
0: Don't yeah. Don't worry so, about that. Let's keep the conversation flowing.
1: I, <laughs> um. So I, you know, I think that being able to to be able to have that connection with, with your clients is just really important. You know, like nobody wants to come in. And like I had a client the other day tell me I would not have booked you. If I were to think that you were going to be stuffy and super professional, I booked you because I watch you on Instagram and you crack me up and you make me laugh and I felt connected with you. And I feel like so many people lack that. They lack that connection and that authenticity with their clients. And I think that's what makes people struggle a lot.
0: Huh. That's interesting. You know what? And this is, and I know we've kind of gone every which way today in conversation already, but I'm I'm okay with that. The, the, when I, when I hear, and we've talked about, I've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast. When I hear somebody say I'm an introvert, I, I think again, the simplicity of that label is very, very limiting and it's not nuanced. And I can speak from personal experience here, but I used to claim that I was an introvert, or at least had introverted tendencies. But when I actually took the time to step back and, and look at why I was feeling the way that I was when I went into groups of, of people, or went to parties, or loud music going on in the background and this kind of thing, um, and better understood the psychology that was driving that, I was able to, to adjust my psychology, adjust the way that I thought, ultimately, that, that belief system that we were talking about earlier, and that's enabled me to relax more in front of my clients and be more, quote, who I am. And it's a phrase that we hear a lot these days, but there is, there's some realness behind that, some significance behind that phrase. And so I, I like what you're talking about here that a lot of photographers, I'll say at least some photographers anyway, probably haven't gotten to a place where they're okay with themselves. And there's, there are reasons for that. There's psychology behind that, right? But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, that gets in the way of them being able to most effectively connect with their clients. And that translates to the final images, that translates the, the emotion even that that client is able to feel comfortable exuding during the session. And um, So this is a really interesting talking point, and I, we've spent a lot of time on mentality already, and I like that, and I, you bring up a really interesting point there. I appreciate you sharing that. Talk to me about the significance of I don't know, maybe the most important lesson that you have learned as a business owner. How many years have you been in business so far?
1: Um, I started my business in 2012, Okay, so not super long.
0: Seven years, though, is, is still a lot longer than than uh, many people have been able to keep in business. So, so props to you for that. But what would you say is the most significant lesson that you've learned so far? Like if you had just a few seconds, literally, to share the most impactful lesson that you've learned as a photographer with another photographer, what would that be?
1: Um, to be authentic and be who you are. There's nothing like being who you are and, uh, and allowing yourself to be real and authentic. And I think that really connects you with a lot of your clients and um, people appreciate that. And, and so
0: this is of course largely tied to what you were talking about earlier, the significance of, of self-worth. I mean, if you feel quote worthy, then you're going to be much more comfortable in your skin, being yourself. And then that translates to the way that you engage with other people. But we, we also hear this word authenticity a lot, right? To the extent that it's become cliche and you'd you see it on Instagram and Facebook and so forth. And people are talking about being authentic. I'd love for you to, to make that more tangible. What, is that, what does that mean? We'll just take it for, for for you. In your business, in your life, what does it mean to be authentic?
1: You know, again, saying what you think, you know, don't worry about what other people think about you. And I think that, my clients appreciate that, and I feel like it is it is part of my brand because it 's who I am and i've never been a person that really really cares a whole lot about what other people think about me so i um being authentic and being able to be real with your clients is just it's just super important and like I said, my clients said the other day, if you were to be super professional and and um no i'm not saying that i'm not professional but being super you know kind of stuck up and snooty and you know just not the way that i am she probably wouldn't have booked me because it's not you know it doesn't it doesn't create a comfortable atmosphere it doesn't create you know an enjoyable experience and so now i'm not saying if you're if you're not a you know in your face, like, Hey girl kind of thing, then don't be that. Like, I'm not telling you to go do that just because that's how I am. Sure. But, um, just be authentic and authentically who you are, because it's just so important because if people don't feel like they can connect with you, then they're not ever going to take that, uh, that step in and booking with you. You know what I mean?
0: It's true. And you know, I, this, this line, the balance, if you will, is going to look different for everybody. I realize this, but I'll go back to, that example that I gave just a couple of minutes ago, this this notion of, quote, simply being introverted, because a lot of photographers seem to, to claim that label. Where do you think the line is between learning how to step outside your comfort zone a little bit so that you can let loose so that you carry a better energy into a session and engage with people more effectively because it translates to the camera. I mean, you know, you, you talked earlier about this idea of empowering women. Um, The interesting thing, and there's some significance to that for sure. The interesting thing about your, I'll call it your brand position is teaching humans the art of self-worth. I mean, this doesn't just carry over to female subjects. It also carries over to male subjects. Plenty of guys, myself included have struggled with insecurity in one form or another, but Where do you think in order to more effectively engage with those clients, male or female, that you learn a little bit, you push yourself outside your comfort zone a little bit to let loose, which then, of course, naturally encourages your clients, your subjects to let loose and just translates to kind of an overall much more fun experience and better images.
1: That's a hard one. <laughs> yeah. You got me there. You know, I think that we all kind of like to say, oh, we're introverted or we're extroverted or whatever the case may be. I am. I will totally not lie and sit there and say that I don't as well when I'm speaking in front of a uh, hundreds of people like there's at the end of that. I want to go and hang out in my hotel room. But, sure, sure. you know, like there there comes a, a point where you have to realize that your growth stops if you put yourself in a shell and you don't reach out and you don't grow. And so I think you have to really kind of push yourself over that line just a little bit and realize that people can't connect with you if you don't allow them to. And if we don't, You know, if we don't push ourselves out of that comfort zone, and that's why, you know, I kind of preach to my clients as well. There's 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 a line of comfort, and there's a line over that comfort. And when you step over that line, is when you really start to live. Mm. And stepping outside of that comfort zone is the beginning of freedom, and is the beginning of so much more than we ever thought we were capable of. Yes. And so, even as an introvert, you know, you have to, unless you want to be stagnant and stay where you are for the rest of your life, you have to be able to step over that line and just. At least be able to give a little bit of yourself to somebody, so that you can get out of that comfort zone, and so that you can continue to grow.
0: That's awesome. I mean, you couldn't have really summed it up better. And and, shit, that one was hard. (laughs) But that was really, really good, though. And speaking of Instagram and Facebook, Haley, Haley, who edits and produces our podcast, Haley, you're gonna have to grab that soundbite and and push it out there for everybody, because everybody needs to hear that and be encouraged by that. You know, I think about when you say. the the moment that you step outside your comfort zone is the moment that you live. I've been skydiving a couple of times now, and I'm naturally... Oh, I want to do that so bad. Oh, Matt, you got to try it. You got to try it. It's incredible. But I'm naturally afraid of heights. And one of the reasons that I went and did this is because I wanted to kind of break out of that so-called comfort zone. And when I landed after that first jump, I I had a physical high for 45 minutes. It was the most Mm -hmm. intense thing. And, you know, this can translate to the many different scenarios uh, or contexts, but I would never have had the opportunity to to feel that way and to understand the significance of stepping outside of my comfort zone had I not made, literally made that leap, right? Now, I'm not yeah. suggesting everybody listening in has to go skydiving, but there's an opportunity to to experience life in a way, and, and context of our conversation, experience being a photographer in a way that you never have before, even if you're willing to just... D- Stick that toe outside of that that little box that you live in. Uh, You just have to make the move. And I promise, I promise, I promise on the other side of that, as Matt just pointed out, is it 's almost like a different life. you have the ability to live a life that you couldn 't have before just because you were willing to take that that step out so wow this is this is really really good stuff. I want to talk to you about <laughs> time just briefly because you mentioned earlier having four horses and of course the, the investment, particularly in time that that it requires to take care of those horses but you 're also a business owner. How do you, is there something that you do in your work week, your workflow that enables you to create more time and space for that type of thing or to spend time with friends or with family? Is there a particular workflow tip or trick that you can share with our listeners?
1: So I'm going to be so real with you. Yeah. Um, It is hiring an assistant. Um, Before I hired my associate and before I had employees and before when I did all this by myself, I had no time. I had zero time to do anything that I wanted to do. I was not able to ride my horses like I wanted to do. I wasn't able to barrel race. I was literally at the studio 24 seven, or I was on an airplane going to teach somewhere. And I had zero time. And since I hired my associate Brianna, my life has become so much easier. And being able to, I am able to rely on her to do so much of the things that I was having to do myself. And I think being able to keep keep track of, of task and as kind of as go with the flow as I am, I am very much list oriented. Like I like yeah. to make lists. I like to check things off. And I like to remind myself of things that I have to do that way. And so hiring an assistant, having somebody that you trust that is able to take a burden off of you and make your life easier is is honestly like I mean, it is, it is the number one thing that I can, that I recommend once you get to a point where you can afford to do that, then it's, it's game changing.
0: But it's so true. And of course the reality and and the wonderful reality, especially in 2019 is that we're not limited to, to only hiring an assistant. I mean, I am lucky enough to work with not just one person on my team, but a a multitude of people. And that does make my life easier, especially when I learn to trust and to delegate, because now I can focus on, on in some cases anyway, bigger picture items that enable me to continue to push my business or my businesses forward. And that's really, really important. If you're stuck in the busy work, the day-to-day busy work constantly, and you can't get up above that, then it's going to feel like a rat race. You're going to get burnout really easily. And yeah. and then just you know business no longer seems fun. So I understand what you're talking about and the significance of having someone there to be able to delegate work to that helps you manage it all. It's so, so important. But what I was getting to earlier is that we're in this day and age where we have the ability, whether it's taking advantage of software to automate some of our um, some of that busy work, the communication or otherwise, taking advantage of companies that that will do album design work for you or accounting work for you, or of course, with photographers edit, editing work for you, um, there are opportunities to be able to delegate work out so that you don't have to do it all yourself. And to Matt's earlier point about the significance of being yourself, doing, doing this, delegating your work as much as you possibly can, that work that doesn't re- actually require your involvement will enable you to better focus on just being you. Uh, and, and it frees you up to be able to not only build your business, but then to do the things that you really, really love. So I, I like that you bring up the significance of delegation there and, and um, having an assistant or even just delegating certain tasks that will make a massive difference in our listeners' businesses for sure. What's what's one of the most impactful business or self-help books that you've read or listened to? Uh, or maybe you just do podcasts. What Can you share some of that with us?
1: So it's really funny. I'm actually writing a book right now. No way. About Yeah, it's um, we're actually editing the second manuscript now. It is about my life, basically, and how I kind of came from nothing and became successful. And it is a inspirational memoir is, is what they're calling it. And so what's really funny to me is because I don't read. Like, I sound so stupid saying that, but I'm just not a big reader. Like, I'll start a book and then I can't really finish it. Although I will say a book that really, really inspired me was I don't know if I mean surely you know who Jewel is the singer Jewel yeah yeah I read her memoir it was Jewel songs are just part of the story and it basically talks about the same thing how she started with nothing and she had you know a really terrible life and she overcame a lot of her obstacles and that's kind of it really inspired me with not only um, my book writing and my life, but with a, with the business as well. Because you know she's, I mean, she's a singer and a songwriter, so it's essentially the same thing as a photographer. You're still doing your own business, and you're still working, and you're right. still having to to put that inspiration in somewhere. And so that was a it was a really really great book, regardless if you listen to her music or not.
0: But. <laughs> well, and we'll link to that book in the show notes for those of you listening in. Boca B O K E H podcast com. You can find the show notes for today's episode. Uh, and Haley's begun adding. Uh, Timestamps actually, to the content in the episode, so if you have limited time, you don 't have an hour or whatever it is to listen to an o l episode, and you want to get to particular topics, you can look for that information as well as links to the resources that we talk about today uh, but i 'm curious, Matt, so you know I, I listen to i 'm a fan of Gary Vaynerchuk for both his work ethic and then also his his marketing his approach to marketing, and mm-hmm. one of the things he talks about is the fact that he doesn 't read and Yet, you have somebody who is very intelligent and is obviously very successful. I'm curious, how, how do you go about learning? Is it strictly from experience? Do you have mentors? What does that look like?
1: You know, I honestly think it is from experience. If I sit down and I read a book, I may be able to read for a little bit and then I get really tired and I fall asleep in the middle of the book. (laughs) (laughs) Regardless, you know, it's really, it's just really, it's always been a struggle for me to read. Not that I'm just dumb and I can't read because I can. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't engage my brain. Sure. So being able to um, learn from experiences or something that's always kind of really helped me um, and You know, I started, when I started, you know, my business was not easy. It it didn't come easy. It wasn't, when I started, there weren't a whole lot of educators. There weren't really any mentors. So I kind of just honestly went with the flow and, you know, just kind of trial and error. And so that has been my biggest thing. As far as mentors, I don't really have a whole lot of people that I talk to about things that are, you know, photography related or anything like that, just because I try to really stay in my own lane. I try to honestly keep blinders on and not look at anybody else and just focus on myself because i know that you know when when you do that when you look at other people it kind of you know you kind of start comparing yourself and things like that yeah. so i try to really stay in my own lane i will say though um, somebody that really inspires me that is a photographer is actually Anna Le- Annie Levitz i love her and yes. i love her style and so I like what she stands for and I like, you know, what she's done in her career. So,
0: yeah, particularly I, her raw journalistic work is really quite interesting where, where she's photographed more specifically photographed her her own personal life. Um, yes. Some of that work is just stunning, stunning stuff. You know, it's very raw, uh, kind of very telling. And um, yeah, I, I definitely am, am a fan of Annie as well. But I think about what you, what you said a second ago that you if you start to read, you fall asleep this actually reminds me a lot of my girlfriend who is also very similarly a doer, somebody who wants to to get things done that kind of goes hard through the day. And by the end of the day, like the idea of, of laying down or sitting down and reading a book is just going to lead to sleep or even watching a movie is going to lead to sleep because yeah, she's, absolutely. she's the one that's doing things, you know, while people are maybe sitting around talking or philosophizing or being fancy or whatever, she's actually doing things and she's been very, very successful in what she does. Um, and, and that reminds me of, of, of you or vice versa. You're one who gets out and does and you've got a successful business and, and you're learning through experience and there's a lot to be said about that. So I have a lot of respect of that, that kind of mentality, that approach to life. So, so props to you for that. Talk to us just briefly. This is kind of a fun question, but what is the most unusual item in your camera bag that enables you to be a better photographer? And This doesn't have to be a camera or lens. It could be literally anything. What, what comes to mind?
1: Honestly, there's nothing special. There's a, a, there's a Canon 5D Mark three and a 50 millimeter lens. That's literally all I use. That's it. There's no, there's no special weapon in there.
0: That's great. I love simplicity. I'm a huge fan of that. So you said the 50 millimeter lens?
1: Uh-huh. The 50 millimeter
0: 1.2. 1.2. Okay. So the, the natural question or one of them innate to a fixed lens of that particular focal length is what happens when you want to get a wider shot? I mean, obviously, you're going to move around, but are you not limited in certain spaces where that 50 just doesn't make sense? Or does that limitation enable you to, to just be more creative?
1: Uh-uh. You just back it on up like a U-Haul truck. I mean, you just got to like you back it on up until you can't back it no more, and then you good. I mean, like I, I mean, I usually I'm always shooting in my studio or I'm outside or whatever, and so I usually don't have any issues with that. Okay. And. You know, I guess if I do, you just gotta get creative and you just gotta make it work. There's I'm just that person that if if you don't have any options, you make that shit work, no matter what. so you you keep trying until it works. Luckily, I haven't ran into an issue where I haven't used it. I do love the thirty five one point four as well. I do have that lens, but i I honestly never shoot with it. The 50 has just always kind of been my baby. Honestly, it never even comes off of my camera. And I maybe one day I may get in it and I may be like, oh shit, I wish I had another lens. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, it works for me. And it's that's just my combo. It's what I've always loved. And it, it works.
0: Well, and, and so it works, but I'm curious at least what's driving that did you like, were you never curious to try other lenses or did you just like the simplicity of that workflow where like you said, you don't have to take it off your camera. You just pick it up and you start shooting. What, what drove that initially?
1: Both. Um, I love the simplicity. I don't want to have to sit there and change lenses a hundred times. Yeah. I actually started my career as a wedding photographer. So I've shot with a million lenses. Okay. I actually, I, like I said, I still have a 35 millimeter. I still have a 70 to 200. I still have a hundred macro. Like I've got all of those, but I literally don't use them. They sit in a bag in my guest bedroom and everyone's like, oh, you should sell them. I'm like, eh, maybe I, what if I need them one day? Sure. sure. Um, but you know, I, I literally don't use them. I love the 50 because of the creaminess that it gives me. I love, you know, I shoot all of my clients on like 1.8 or two for my aperture and I just that's just been part of my style ever since I started and I don't see that changing anytime soon.
0: I love it. I love the simplicity of that and I love how it it naturally creates parameters that force you to make other adjustments right in order to accommodate that, that focal length. Um, Absolutely. And again, for those of you listening in, you're going you're to gonna want to check out Matt's work. If you go to Instagram, it's just M-A-T-T, Matt underscore Matthews, M-A-T, just one T-H-E-W-S. And by the way, your website, I'll go ahead and mention, mention for everyone as well. It's Matt Matthews, again, with one T, photography.com. And uh, by the way, I love that portrait of you on your homepage. And, and again, the, the kind of personalization innate to letting that be front and center when somebody comes to, to visit your site. That's great.
1: Thanks. I appreciate it. That's uh that's an old photo. That's a that's a couple pounds ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about your boudoir photography. And and first of all, it's interesting to to watch even in the last um, I don't know, I'd have to say in the last year to see the the acceptance of boudoir photography in the mainstream and and particularly the photography industry, it's becoming more and more accepted. Uh, But naturally this also means that there's going to continue to be more growth in the number of boudoir photographers, kind of like we've seen with wedding photography. So a part of creating a unique experience so you can actually set yourself apart is um, at at least according to many photographers, creating a distinct photography style. Um, Innate to that is technique. Of course, the actual composition, the way the image is captured Um, And we're going to actually talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. But then you also have editing style. So I'm curious, just to get the conversation started, how significant a role do you feel like photographic style has played in the development and the growth of your boudoir business?
1: Um, I think it's definitely played a a large role. I feel like as artists, we, we always continue to evolve and we always grow. Our work always changes. I'm sure in a year from now, my work will look totally different than it does now. But I feel like that's really important, you know, because if you think about it, boudoir has really always been around like it's it's never it's never gone anywhere. It's just only gotten popular and only gotten sexier. I mean, think about in the 1980s, like boudoir, Walmart portraits were with you with your jacket hanging off your shoulder and your hair up to Jesus. Like that was what that was boudoir. But in the 80s, you know what I mean? So It's only evolved and gotten sexier. And so. I think we have to just really continue to, to be able to evolve with it. And really, I think the style has, you know, it's as long as we continue to evolve with the style is when we continue to grow and it's only going to get sexier. it's only going to get, you know, well, I don't know because Facebook and Instagram be trying to play folks. They've trying to delete. It.
0: <laughs> it's true. But,
1: but, you know, like it's really important to be able to evolve and to grow with that style and really hone into that because it's such a, it's, it is such a big part of your business. And be, you know people can look at my work and be like, "I know that was Matt Matthews because x, y, and Z
0: sure. you talk about the significance of of evolving or evolution, and I mean we know that that styles i've been in the industry close to twenty years, so i've seen and as a wedding photographer i'm certainly guilty of kind of playing into whatever trends are going on in the moment and mm-hmm. you know and, and then of course, looking back at that and being like, "What in the world was I thinking?" but styles trends they they do kind of come and go and they change, and so it is important to to be open minded. And keep in mind that that these things do come and go, and and that you know in the long run, not only are you going to look at that work, but your clients are hopefully going to be still looking at that work. And you want to make sure that it's not something that's going to look totally wild and crazy, you know, even just in two or three years. Some of the stuff that I that that I've seen over that over time, uh, and even more recently, that photographers are doing to their images, it's so over the top. There's no consideration for how this might look in the client's home, you know, in an album or on a print on a wall, and Three years, or five years, or ten years, and I think that's a little bit problematic. But you, you have a very clean, very classic style. That's that's me summing it up. How would you sum up the the photographic style uh, with your boudoir business?
1: I think my style is is very. It is clean. I think it's very timeless. That's the whole goal of my work is I want you to be able to look at my work in five years and still love your images. You're coming and you're spending a bunch of money on a beautiful album. And I want you to be able to sit down in 30 years with your husband in a glass of wine and really look at your images and still love them and still feel sexy and remember that time in your life. And I think that you're right. You know, A lot of photographers now add a bunch of presets and add a bunch of actions and do a bunch of bullshit that just isn't necessary. And, <laughs> right. um, you know, I'm like, don't nobody need all that. You need to keep it clean, keep it simple. And that's how I like to stay with my work. I mean, I, my work is very much raw. It is very much authentic and it is, and it's, and it's simple and it's timeless. And that's the way I like to describe it because I want you to be able to love your images just as much as you do now in 10 years.
0: Let's talk, though, about how you actually got to this point, though. I mean, first of all, could you, if you were to think back um, about seven years ago when you were starting as a wedding photographer, how would you sum up your work then? Has it always been, have you always had this this effort at being clean, being classic, or did you try a variety of things?
1: No, I've always been pretty clean. I started out shooting film, okay, and so... Honestly, when I shot film, I shot the film, I had it developed, and that is what it looked like. You kind of got what you got. And I always loved the look of film. I always loved the colors and the skin tones and things like that. And I loved that I didn't have to worry about doing a whole bunch of editing to it. And so even as a wedding photographer, when I would get my images, when I would photograph digitally, I would, you know, just... The, the whole goal is to get it perfect in camera, get everything as good as you can in camera so that you don't have to do a whole lot of editing because right. back to time management, don't nobody got time to be sitting at a damn computer for four hours editing, you know, one session like it's just not manageable, especially if you don't have, you know, team and, and help doing so. So right. I think that being able to keep it simple and clean is is really important unless you just you know want to waste a lot of time.
0: Oh, that I mean again, you summed up the the significance of time there wonderfully when in the context of editing, photographers a lot of photographers do make a lot of work for themselves by developing these complicated styles that you know the, the reality is in probably most cases, and I would even venture ninety ninety five percent of cases the client they may think that image looks cool, but they don 't understand the amount of time that you put into that the, the hours and hours that you spent probably trying to come up with that style. And then of course, ultimately the amount of time it takes to translate that to the image, those, new yeah. On-
1: then they don't want to pay for it and you don't waste it all that damn time.
0: <laughs> well, that's true. But then there's the, again, all of that time spent coming up with that and then, and then implementing that style, uh, it, that is particularly complicated. It, it really seems to play more to the photographer's interest and their peers interests maybe, um, than it does to the client's interest and actual desires. And I think that's something that needs to be talked about maybe a a little bit more. But regardless, having a style, there's obviously nothing wrong with it, and you don't want your work just looking the same as everyone else around you. So let's talk about how to go about uh, defining or even refining your boudoir style. Will you share with our listeners some of the big ideas that have enabled you or that have driven you to kind of come to the style that you... Uh, have developed at this point, and and that they can maybe apply this to the development of their boudoir style
1: yeah, you know, like I said, I like to learn by seeing things i like okay. to i'm not good at just reading, I like to see it, and so a lot of the th- a lot of the times, like when I was developing my style now, the style that I have now is very kind of A little dark and moody, a little, you know, a little even like it's kind of a mixture. But the way that I developed that was I love to look at editorial work and I love to look at things that I wasn't going to compare myself to, but things that I enjoyed visually. And so being able to see shadows and highlights and where they fall on the body and how did they create that image? Where was their light placed? Did they use, um, did they use an artificial light? You know, that kind of thing. And so that really kind of helped me hone into the style that I have. And I think once I kind of found it, I remember there being a day that I shot a session and I was like, Oh, this is it. Like, (laughs) like, this is what I wanted. Like, this is what I've been wanting to do the, the entire time. And then once I learned like the tick the the trick or the or the whatever tip it was that I did to create that image and to create those highlights and those shadows is when I really learned okay well this is what I have to do to continue to you know grow that style and that 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 look that I was going for and so I think that. You know, really being able to see what you like visually is important. And then not necessarily rec- trying to recreate or mimic that, but, you know, add it into your own style and put your own kind of twist on it.
0: Yeah. So there, I mean, there are really two components that you've just talked us through innate to going about either defining or refining your style. Um, one is is just learning, or maybe awareness, even is is a good word here. But learning what it is that you like, and you talked about editorial at work. Is there like are there certain magazines or otherwise that you like to look at, where you got these ideas about not only the the I guess the the composition that you enjoyed, but the use of light that you enjoyed as well? Was it movies as well? Like what what were these sources of inspiration?
1: Yeah, I really like cinematic work. I like and. And the thing that, you know, that I really want to get across here is just because you see it doesn't mean that you have to, like I said, you don't have to mimic it. I, like, I love photographers' work that use strobes and really can create a beautiful, dramatic portrait with, just like Annie Leibovitz um, does with, you know, an artificial light and a strobe. But I don't personally use that myself. I use natural light. So, you know, being able to be inspired and see these things that you like and that you visually are attracted to just kind of helps, you know, helps you grow, but you don't have to mimic it and do it the exact same way. And so I'm really inspired by cinematic work and I'm really inspired. um, I really like, although I don't shoot editorial work, I really love, I like Vogue magazine. I like to, I love the weird poses and I love the dramatic lighting and, you know, things like that. I've actually kind of gotten a little more into Sue Bryce. I love her dramatic kind of lighting that she's been doing lately. I think that's been really pretty and really cool. And so I like to, you know, like I said, I try to not look at a lot of other photographers just because then you kind of start to compare yourself. And I think that comparing is not a good thing at all.
0: Well, I used the word awareness earlier, and and I think there's a difference between awareness and... And just simply copying, right, or feeling a pressure mm-hmm. to to copy because that's the the quote thing to do. I think awareness is good, but then, as you said earlier in our conversation, focusing on what you're good at or, or staying in your lane that really enables you, yeah, enables you to double down on what you're actually not only good at but what you're currently doing and be present in that. And I think that's really important. But developing, you've you've mentioned, I think you alluded to to light in this yeah. this process of developing awareness of what you like how did you go about learning to see that or what like what did that look like what did that process look like cuz i think back to and i i've mentioned this before in the podcast but watching movies was a process for me you, you referenced cinema as well of learning to see how a scene was lit um, particularly rim light or backlight uh, was something mm-hmm. that I, that I would notice but I started to see that so I'd watch movies and notice that and continue to notice that but then it enabled me because I was seeing that and seeing how it was being used to then apply that or implement that use of light in my own work as well but what did that process look like for you
1: well you know it's funny because as a wedding photographer I didn't have any I didn't get to use, I never used strobes or anything like that. I was always natural light. And so it was always just pretty much naturally even lit portraits outside. And so I really didn't get to play play with light and really learn about light until I became a boudoir photographer. When I started my business, I started my business in a 300 square foot room in my house. Wow. And it had windows all around. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. The only thing that I knew to do was have an even light onto the subject. So all of my images were very evenly lit. Okay. They were the very much bright and airy because I didn't know how to use light in any other way. And so I then learned... That the way that I, the way that you're able to learn with light and shadows is to be able to use it properly, and the way that you have to do that is by blocking it out. Hmm. And so I would start putting, um, like, styrofoam boards or cardboard boxes or black light curtains on other windows to block out light from coming in. And I would use one light source or one window. And so um, using that and backlighting and things like that really changed the game for me when it came to using those highlights and those shadows. And it's easy to see it fall onto the body. And as as soon as you can see it on the body, then you can obviously photograph it the same way. But it really took playing with the light and owning the light and making the light work for me to really understand it and learn about it. And again, it wasn't reading a book. It wasn't, you know, watching videos. It was honestly just doing it and figuring it out until I liked it, until it looks like, you know, the work that I wanted to create.
0: That's cool. But there's a very clear process here that, that is, you know, you, you went about learning what you liked and various sources innate to that process, but then you began to learn how to apply what you've learned. So there's the learning what you liked then there's the application of what you've learned. And it starts with, playing with light. And, and of course, that's the wonders of, of digital. I also started on film, so I know what it's like to shoot film, but then also how wonderful it is to be able to have that immediate feedback on your screen and you can begin to play with light, whether it's natural light or, or otherwise, and learn to see how it works. And I love the simple notion, the way that you described it, of blocking light out in order to encourage or create directional light. That That is certainly a significant principle. Um, but learning how that learning how to see the light first or developing an awareness of, of how light works, but then applying that through practice is really, really important. And of course, we can do that with little to, to no cost to us. So that's really, really great. But then also there's composition. And I'm, I'm looking at your Instagram feed again, and there's a variety of composition here. You know, it seems like these days there are certain compositions even, not just editing styles, but composition in particular with the, the kind of wide-angle shots with subjects that are small in the image and, and the, the grandeur of scenery, and, and not to minimize the significance of that because there's some really, really beautiful work out there, but there's a, a tendency in many cases to shoot a lot of the same stuff. I'm looking at your Instagram feed here, and there's certainly plenty of close-up, but then there are some that are pulled back a little bit further, you get full length, and then some that are, you know, maybe just a quarter length. And, and then there's another one right here, as I'm scrolling through where it's just a close up on the body and, and the subject's face is not in it. There's there's a decent amount of variety here. How did you go about deciding what composition worked for you? And, and maybe even in the shoot, how do you go about deciding how to compose a frame?
1: Well, it started by not wanting everything to look the same. Okay. I wanted, you know, I wanted everything to be different. And here's the thing, you know, if you're shooting boudoir, there's only so many damn ways a woman can lay on a bed. You know what (laughs) I mean? So like you're essentially shooting the same thing. So in order for me to get different compositions and different pieces of work that I could share that didn't look the same and wasn't the exact same thing that I'm posting every day, because people are going to get bored of your ass. They're going to be like, look, it's the same thing every day. Like, so I really really tried and pushed myself to learn how to photograph one pose and get five different images out of it. Okay. So go from somebody laying on their back. Okay, well they're laying on their back in that one pose, but get a detail shot of their lips or a detail shot of their hands on their chest or a detail shot of their collarbones. So like, you know, just different different scenarios where Number one, you're saving time because they're just in that one pose, but you're able to get five different images and five different composited images, you know, from that one pose. And so for me, again, it was really just how can I, especially starting in a 300 square foot room, you know, like how can I utilize this space and get a lot of beautiful images that aren't the same, that, you know, convey emotion and are, and are beautiful and sexy, but not the exact same thing every single day. So you had to, I had to really learn and push myself out of the box and think of different parts of the body. And I had to really think of, okay, do I just want another picture of somebody laying on a bed or what else do I want to add to that? What is, what if this is real and documentary, you know, what is somebody going to do if they're just laying on the bed? Like they not dead. So like they're doing something. So bring that to life. Hmm. And that was really important to me um, when I was trying to learn to photograph people and have it be more documentary than just a bitch laying on a bed because nobody cares about that.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you're 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 talking about movement. I, I like the fact that you point out that this is not a dead person laying there. This is somebody who's alive, and in many cases, they are going to be doing something, They're going to be moving in some way, and and figuring out to, how to effectively capture that is great. The significance of variety that you mentioned earlier as well. Just going in with a with the intention that you're not going to photograph the same stuff that you always do, or that you're just going to focus on um, this one particular frame. You're going to move around, and of course, you're forced to with that fifty. But is. <laughs> yeah, but but then you're you've you've got certain light because of where that subject is in your studio, light coming in from one window or another, and if you move around, the light changes and the way that it's interacting with with the subject, the way that it's interacting with the camera, you can you can easily, as you were saying, take advantage of even just one pose and get a variety of images. So that's good. Talk to us. Um, lastly, here about about editing. We have light, we have composition, and then the editing process. You've already pointed out the fact that you are clean classic that you're, you're trying to create imagery for your clients that are going to last. And I think that's really important uh, to keep in mind, but do you have a particular process that you go about with your editing and are you really stoked on a, a particular Lightroom preset or, or action or anything like that?
1: Yeah. So I, like I said, I like to get it as perfect in camera as I can, you know, I want to, I don't want to have to do a whole lot of editing. So I do try to get everything just like a spot on as far as, you know, white balance and, um, you know, where my highlights and everything are. Um, then we will upload them to the computer and I actually don't use Lightroom. I use Adobe camera raw. That's essentially the same thing as Lightroom. And, um, what I do is I like to use tribe Archipelago presets. They're also a sponsor of mine. So (laughs) thanks tribe Archipelago.
0: <laughs> I'm not even going to try to spell that, but we'll have to. Actually, will you spell that for all of our listeners, if you don't mind?
1: Yes, it is. So tribe, T-R-I-B-E. Okay. And it's Archie So it is um, A-R-C. Okay. H-I-P-E-L-A-G-O.
0: Oh, got it. Here we go. Okay, it's starting to come up. Yeah, Tribe Archipelago, and it looks like Lightroom and ACR. So Adobe Camera Raw, like you pointed out, their presets. Yes. Okay, uh-huh. cool. Yeah, we'll make sure to link to these in the show notes. Okay, please keep going. And
1: so now. I um, I love to use their presets. I use them on pretty much everything, and we just add one simple one simple preset. Just kind of just kind of like you know perfect our skin tones and our colors and then we just kind of adjust them you know if i want the contrast to be up a little bit more if i want to play with the shadows or the highlights and then that's basically it so there's not i mean it literally takes one click and maybe a slider or two to adjust a couple of things um and that's that's pretty pretty much it
0: that's great what well, again the simplicity there saves time and, you know, a lot of times uh, photographers will have a list of presets in their copy of Lightroom or maybe actions in Photoshop that they're using in order to, you know, they'll apply one preset here, another preset there, or an action here or there using as the, the way that you described it there. I really like it, using that action or that preset as a baseline finish for the images that really does just kind of finish the image, right? You're you're shooting that image ideally, at least in most cases spot on is the, the exposure, the white balance. It's what it's supposed to be. And you just apply that that preset or action as a finish for the image and yes. and you're done. I mean, that, that the simplicity of that workflow is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think a lot of our listeners could probably take a cue from that. And I mean, you talked earlier, you alluded to the idea of processing a portrait session for four hours. Um, that that certainly is probably quite common. And in in many cases, photographers are spending much, much more time than just four hours. How long does it usually take you or your assistant to process a session?
1: So with boudoir, it is a little bit different because, you know, we do want them to look perfect. Nobody wants to, you know, come in for a boudoir session and have acne all over their butt or whatever. Sure, sure. So we do like to smooth skin and things like that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to make anybody look like a Barbie doll because that shit's ugly. The same pageants, but you know, we do like to once we edit everything, we do like to kind of run back through and just make sure that their skin looks nice. There's no acne or, you know, there's no kind of bumps or anything like that. So we just kind of will smooth over that really quickly. But I mean, usually about an hour and a half to two hours per session. Okay, um, is how long it usually takes my assistant to edit everything. So it's usually not that long.
0: That's incredible. I mean, I, I know that just color correction work, calling and color correction work, probably in many cases are taking photor- photographers at least that four hours, if not longer. And of course, that's one of the benefits of our editing company. But the fact that you're able to do both the color correction work and if it's even necessary and the retouching work in that hour and a half to two hours is is impressive. So again, props to you, props to your assistant. That's really, really she's great.
1: Mad. She is, she's good. Like.
0: Well, not only that, uh, again, it speaks better. to the importance of the simplicity of your workflow, right? There's no need to complicate that process. And I think that's a lot of what gets in the way of efficiency for photographers. So again, this is a great reminder. And honestly, Matt, this has been a really, really wonderful conversation. Can we just finish by having you share again with our listeners where they can follow you online and, and what you're doing?
1: Yeah. So um, I actually have a group on Facebook for photographers. It's awesome. just called it's um I share a lot about my workshops and upcoming events that I'm going to be at there. And they can just type in Matt Matthews education for photographers. Okay. My Facebook is just Matt Matthews photography. My Instagram is just Matt underscore Matthews. And my website is Matt Matthews photography dot com.
0: Perfect. And that's all, by the way, again, for those of you listening in, Matthew's with just one T, and we'll link to all of these in the show notes. For those of you listening in, just go check it out, bocapodcast.com. But uh, once again, thanks again, Matt, for making time for the Boca Podcast.
1: Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.